trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh boy, have we got our work cut out for us today. The world is just getting crazier by the minute. And that's not, you know, reason to throw your hands up in the air and give up. Okay, fine, let it, uh, let it just, you know, fall apart. I think, uh, I think every one of us has something, some way, some purpose, some mission in which we're supposed to positively impact the world. That gets tough, though. In fact, that gets uh, really difficult when, when truth and light are things that uh, are, are very strongly discouraged. I, I, I've tried to think of other ways to describe this, you know, the, the war on reality and so forth, but maybe a better way to say this would be much of what we live in, or uh, let me put that another way, much of what the public considers reality is a manufactured reality. So I'm going to be spending some time today, hopefully, uh, sharing some some good news in terms of you know the 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 cracks are starting to appear in the official smoke screen, if you will, that is keeping a lot of people from the truth. That's good news. But if if you're just now starting to wake up to the idea, hey, something's not right. First of all, I'm glad I'm glad you're seeing what's happening. But but secondly, I don't think it's ever been more essential to seek the truth, to to seek after honesty to be willing to ask questions, even inconvenient questions that people in power might uh, not really appreciate, but most importantly, to believe nothing until you can personally verify it. In fact, that's exactly what uh, Lou Rockwell warns in an excellent piece that he's written on the danger of propaganda. And by the way, you don't have to look very far to see the propaganda. You know, this is this is one of the reasons why I recommend go on a media fast every so often, unplug yourself from the matrix, and, and, and just notice how normal the world starts to look. If you're watching legacy media, and by the way, that would include Fox News, so don't think, well, I just watch conservative sources, and therefore I'm getting, you know, all the, all the information that I need. You're not. But social media, legacy media, Basically, anything that's getting out there to the masses is under the influence or under the partial control of people who do not uh, have it in their, in their interest to make sure that you are a well-informed individual. If you want to be well-informed, if you want to have sound judgment, you've got to be serious about it. Now, I'm just going to share a couple of excerpts here from Lou Rockwell's article about propaganda. He starts by recounting an an interview that Mike Wallace, yes, from 60 Minutes, did with Aldous Huxley, the author of Brave New World, back in 1958, in which Aldous Huxley warned about the danger of propaganda leading America down the road to totalitarianism. Now, things have not improved since 1958, and they go into some pretty interesting insights that uh, Huxley was able to see. And Lou Rockwell points out, of course, propaganda has grown much more dangerous than it was even in Huxley's time. Now, social media like Facebook have become far more powerful than television. And, of course, it can also spy on us and manipulate us. 
As Theory Mason pointed out in October of 2021, in the global imagination, Facebook would be a responsible social network that allows everyone to connect confidentially while censoring messages contrary to local laws. But in practice, it's quite different. Facebook collects information about you for the NSA. It censors your opinions, mints its own currency. In fact, in a few months, this company has become one of the most influential players in world politics. That's kind of important. Facebook is a huge company in that it includes Instagram, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Oculus, Workplace, Portal, Novi. It employs over 60,000 people. It has its own currency as a state, the Libra, backed by a basket of currencies composed of 50% dollars, 14% yen, 11% sterling pounds, and 7% Singapore dollars. But Lou points out, By becoming a bank whose currency is progressively accepted by internet sales sites, Facebook is building a parallel economy, both virtual and global, that's larger than the economy of many states. It calls on its users to detect accounts that violate its rules. It opens a file on each of its informants and notes them. Facebook, which claims to treat every user equally, has secretly compiled a list of 5.8 million VIPs to whom its rules do not apply. Only they can say or show everything. Isn't that something? Now he talks about how propaganda played a crucial role in the worldwide fear and panic that resulted from the false pandemic narrative. And this was designed to isolate us and soften us up for totalitarian control, exactly as Huxley had foreseen. Margaret Anna Alice tells the story, saying George Orwell wrote, as far as, the masses, as far as the mass of the people go, the extraordinary swings of opinion which occur nowadays, the emotions which can be turned on and off like a tap, are the result of newspaper and radio hypnosis. So Lou Rockwell asks, can you imagine what master propagandist Edward Bernays would have done with access to today's mainstream media conglomerate combined with global surveillance uh, infrastructure of big tech? By the way, if you're not familiar with Bernays' book, it's called Propaganda. Very worth your time to read. It should be one of the required readings for people who are serious about thinking for themselves. So, do you really think that it's not happening now? Do you really think that what he wrote about 100 years ago, well, you know, that was then, but since then we've become much more sophisticated and we don't need that kind of stuff anymore. No. Now we've got a century of psychological, neurological, technological research that all goes towards how to best keep us propagandized. Lou Rockwell writes, The present ability to curate reality and coerce obedience is unprecedented. In fact, it's far beyond what Orwell envisioned in 1984, or Bradbury in Fahrenheit 451, or Huxley in Brave New World, or Burgess in A Clockwork Orange. In fact, he says a textbook example of problem-reaction-solution. The current tsunami of worldwide hysteria is the latest, most potentially threatening example of mass control in history. And the recipe's simple. Take a naturally occurring phenomenon like a seasonal virus and then exaggerate its threat far beyond every imagining, despite exhaustive evidence to the contrary. Suppress, silence, ostracize, demonize every individual who dares present the facts that expose the false monomarrative, narrative rather. Whip up a witch's brew of anger, envy, and most importantly, fear, 
escalating emotions to a boil so as to short-circus our faculties of reason and logic. That does kind of sound like what happened, doesn't it? Lou also points out that current censorship has reached levels not seen in the past. With all the advanced technology available, this nefarious plot to silence the thinkers and hide the truth could affect all forms of speech. And he has he points to something that I think is, this is one of the big challenges, and that is it is getting more difficult to find truthful information. When you have Google, Amazon, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and other venues eliminating content and access to content at a blistering rate. He says, a day rarely goes by without something I'm reading or researching on these sites being taken down or hidden. That can lead to a world that's consumed by propaganda alone, thus guaranteeing that only the state narrative will be presented in any mainstream or easily accessible format. That's a a dangerous situation, especially considering the likelihood that through vaccination or other methods, much of the population could soon become subject to transhuman experimentation with injectable nanoparticles or chips used to alter human behavior. I know, that's just conspiracy. Are they really working on stuff like that, though? I mean, even even Elon Musk has bragged about, well, with this chip that we can implant in the brain of a pig, we can control it. Scary stuff. So what does that mean for you and me? Okay. Here's Here's what Lou Rockwell says. He says, many have fought and died in order to protect free speech. But all speech is now under attack by the forces of evil. And if the globalists have their way, free speech will be lost forever. So he says, seek the truth, seek honesty, ask questions, believe nothing unless it can be personally verified. But most importantly, do not allow the takeover of your lives by these monsters claiming to be your saviors, right? These are the ones protecting you from misinformation. He says, let's do everything we can to counter the propaganda that's being directed at us we have the potential to take America back from the brain-dead Biden and his gang of neocon controllers and restore what actually matters. I'll have a link to this in today's show notes. I'll invite you to check that out for yourself. You can find it at the brianhydeshow.com. These will be show notes for June 12th, 2023. While you're there, consider mashing the subscribe button down at the bottom of the page. It'll ask for your email, and I'll send you a copy of my show notes each and every day that I do the program. All right, stick around. We're going to talk about more of the uh, the crumbling of the propaganda machine right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to my sponsors, including ClimbingUpward.com, TMCPNation.com, Borelli.com, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. So I saw this uh, story pop up. Uh, shout out to Bill Colley over at KLIXAM uh, in, in Twin Falls. You know, this, this is the passing of an era. The Times News, we jokingly called it the Sometimes News because it had a pretty liberal slant. And so, you know, the people people who would get frustrated with the uh, the editorializing or the sometimes leftward-leaning slant of the news, yes, that's the Sometimes News. Sometimes they report it, sometimes they don't. But they just, uh, they apparently announced last week 
They are going to cut production of the paper from seven days a week to three days a week. And they're going to just start mailing the subscriptions out to those who want to subscribe. By the way, it's not cheap. I mean, you think, well, then, you know, it's going to be affordable. Back five bucks a month, you know, to afford. No, it's, it's still extremely expensive. What a crazy time. No, I, look, I speak, I speak as one who was a proud Times news carrier. I was a paper boy back in the day. Had about uh, 50, between 50 and 60 customers. It, it varied sometimes on people moving in and out or subscribing, you know. But uh, it, was a, it was a legit paper. No matter what I, you know, I, at the time I was too young. I really didn't care what they printed in the paper. I just, you know, delivered it. But it was a legit paper. And boy, Wednesdays and Sundays, I got a workout, man. Those were heavy papers, lots of ads. But I've watched this and other papers just shrink to near nothing. Now you see them starting to cut back on, uh, well, we're only going to publish a little bit here, a little bit there. And it, it's, it's just interesting to see that it's, it's disappearing. The traditional corporate media is changing right in front of our eyes. And, and, I, and I share this with you because there's also the, uh, the fact that cable news is likely to disappear within a decade. Looking at an article here from uh, John Miltimore. This was, uh, I, I saw this on the American Institute for Economic Research's website. John Miltimore says, for more than a quarter century, we've been hearing predictions about the demise of cable and with it, cable news. Now, a Pew Research article from 2000 showed the trends began more than 30 years ago when consumption of broadcast and local news began to decline and users began to get more news and entertainment online. Well, these trends have only increased since to the extent that the long decline in cable news may finally be reaching its end. This week might well mark the last time we ever care so much about cable TV news. That was veteran media analyst Alan Wolk saying that uh, this, he, this was following the surprising departures of Tucker Carlson from Fox News and Don Lemon from CNN. Now, John says, Wolk wasn't saying cable news was necessarily a terrible product. It was an obsolete one on an obsolete platform. And while he didn't predict that the death of cable was imminent, he made it clear that it might be time to start looking for hospice care. Wolk wrote, eventually, probably sometime in the next five to ten years, cable TV is going to stop being worth it for all parties involved and will, for all intents and purposes, disappear. So is this the end of days? Well, John Miltimore says the decline of cable is obviously bad for the six largest cable news networks. That would be Fox CNN, Fox Business, MSNBC, CNBC, rather, and HLN. Paul Farray of the Washington Post points out that fewer people watching cable news doesn't just mean less less ad revenue, which accounted for $2.6 billion in revenue collectively for the cable giants last year, but it also means less revenue from cable providers who provide cable news networks the majority of their revenue that would be $4 billion through licensing fees. The day could soon come when an exodus of cable subscribers leaves cable operators unable to afford the hefty license fees for those news that those news programmers now demand or command rather. So this is obviously bad news for cable news companies. Ditto for talking heads like Jake Tapper and Sean Hannity, both of whom pull in eight figure salaries for consumers, content creators and society generally. The collapse of cable news is nothing to be feared. So in his classic work, Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy, 
Australian political economist Joseph Schumpeter stated that by its very nature, capitalism is an evolutionary process, one that's never stagnant or stationary. He explained that capitalism incessantly revolutionizes the economic structure from within, incessantly destroying the old one. Now, Schumpeter saw that there would be a natural impulse to conserve obsolescent industries, but he rightly understood that this was generally a futile and self-defeating task. At the heart of capitalism is creative destruction. Schumpeter wrote of the economic concept he coined. So today's cable news networks are victims of this process, creative destruction. They are the obsolescent industries of which Schumpeter speaks, and consumers are fleeing for greener pastures where they're served with better options. Now think about what you've just seen in the last few years. John Miltimore points out companies like Netflix are often credited with disrupting the movie industry, and they have. But this disruption goes well beyond Hollywood. Online streaming has disrupted the entire media landscape. And it's not just Fortune 500 companies like Netflix, Apple, Google, and Amazon doing the disrupting. Spotify, Substack, Twitter, Rumble, and others have given content creators new platforms to reach hundreds of millions of people. And this media evolution is a great deal for consumers, because instead of dropping $200 a month for a ridiculous number of channels, instead you can purchase subscriptions as you see fit. Baseball fans can purchase a yearly Major League Baseball package for $150. That's less than a single month of the price of cable. Netflix can be bought for as little as $6.99 a month. Amazon customers get streaming thrown in for free with their Prime subscription. Fans of commentary can purchase HBO Max, now just Max, and get their political fix with Bill Maher in addition to the movies and original programming. And if Maher isn't enough... Well, they can watch countless other commentators for free on YouTube or on Rumble. So for consumers and content creators, we're living in a new golden age of media. Consumers have virtually endless options. Each of us is able to select from the menu based on our individual tastes and pocketbooks. Content creators, meanwhile, get to pursue their entrepreneurial passion and get paid by bringing their message to audiences. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there are no losers. For Sean Hannity, who rakes in a reported $43 million a year, this democratization of media is probably distressing. Ditto for legacy media companies who now have to compete with more content creators than ever. And then there's the government. Nobody's more likely to be concerned over our brave new world of media freedom than the state, which historically has attempted to control and restrict the free flow of information to suit its own ends. That task was considerably easier prior to the democratization of media when the nightly news consisted of Walter Cronkite reporting each evening. So John Miltimore concludes, to be fair, I think many of today's cable news hosts could learn something from Cronkite, the most trusted man in America who exuded professionalism and objectivity with his dispassionate style. But he says, make no mistake, more choices and voices is a healthy thing for democratic society. That's exactly what the market has provided. So I'd be curious, you know, what are your favorite sources? I mean, look, I'm I'm not trying to to pimp Twitter here or even Tucker Carlson, but I think he's released, what, two, maybe three videos now on Twitter and, and racked up scores of millions of views for each one of them. I mean, even even his best nights on Fox News channel was was 
nothing like what he's able to do on Twitter. Which kind of makes you wonder, okay, so what's going to happen? Are we, are we going to see, you know, some kind of a wholesale move? Now we need to get the government to get in control of Twitter. Dangerous misinformation out there. Things people shouldn't know. People shouldn't even be considering. Look away, citizen. Look away. I don't know. I do enjoy the thought of, of government types or at least status types of all flavors being a little bit panicked at the idea that we're getting news information that uh, they would rather we don't get. Or for that matter, just information that they would rather we don't get. So, in my small way, I will continue to help break the stranglehold on information and provide you with food for thought. Again, what you do with it, well, that's that's up to you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. So I'm kind of keeping on the theme here of, uh, okay, let's say traditional media is going the way of the dinosaur. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that's a bad thing. The more, in fact, uh, the more I look around, the more I think, you know, we, we could do with some changes. But uh, change brings, you know, opportunity as well as some risk. And it's possible we may end up with, you know, tighter controls than we have seen to date. But I'll just go on the record as saying I'm, I'm ready for a change. Part of what I do, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I, I, do, a, I do a couple of uh, twice-a-week videos for the Idaho Freedom Foundation called Nowhere to Hide. And this is my job. My job is to find examples of media bias, particularly within legacy media in Idaho, and and just point them out. Showcase here is where they're distorting. Here's where they're obfuscating. Here's where they're omitting facts that could help their viewers or readers, you know, otherwise make better informed decisions. And it may seem kind of antagonistic, but uh, I really enjoy doing this. And I enjoy calling them out, mainly because... You know, there, there comes a point where it's not even a matter of, well, we're just, you know, trying to report the facts as best we understand them. No, they've, they've fully leaned into the agenda. The reporters are, are activists. They don't even really deserve the title journalist. There's, there's just a few people out there that do, but uh, they're largely marginalized by these mainstream media sources. And as these narrative managers start to panic over their inability to keep the public misinformed enough to be controllable, well, that's still some good news. Got an article here from Adam Mill. This is from amgreatness.com, American Greatness. And he says, if we can't get reliable information from legacy media, we will find another way. That is intriguing. To me, this is the new frontier. Adam Mill says one could almost hear the network executives and public officials screaming into their Bluetooth headsets when <coughs> when the early ratings came in. What is a woman had more than 170 million views? Tucker Carlson's new Twitter broadcast, 85 million. With numbers like that, companies that buy advertising are starting to visualize a Super Bowl on Twitter. So on February 12th, advertisers paid $5.5 million per 30-second spot to show commercials to the Super Bowl's approximately 200 million viewers. As another basis of comparison, only three of 100-plus news or cable news networks 
managed ratings over a million. Following Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential candidacy announcement on Twitter, CNN scoffed at the event as a ratings flop. Yet with all of its infrastructure and dedicated cable platforms, CNN's ratings rarely crack 1 million, while DeSantis' Twitter flop scored approximately 3.4 million viewers as of Thursday, May 25th. So the jaw-dropping scale of Elon Musk's ratings triumphs is causing heads to explode like movie theater popcorn. But he says do stock up on the popcorn because Musk has now demonstrated the capacity of Twitter to debut full-length movies. At least since 2016, Legacy Media coordinated news coverage with their friends in the permanent government. They notoriously abandoned objectivity to get Trump before pivoting to COVID. Why should Americans watch television news anymore? Because it's free? It's not free. Cable television is among the largest utility expenses in American households, often exceeding the gas, water, and refuse collection bills often combined. So why trick out expensive studios in Manhattan with elaborate glass and electronics? Tucker Carlson moved some boxes around in his barn to prepare for his address to 85 million viewers. Holy cow, let that sink in for a second. Now, Adam points out here, COVID really was the last straw for the credibility of corporate-based media. Under the watchful eye of the government, the news media spouted a series of lies and guesses about the pandemic. It covered for four governors who forced nursing homes to retain COVID-positive patients, while villainizing anyone who left their useless cloth mask in the car. It made multiple claims about the virus and its origin that turned out to be not true, and continued censoring and canceling people for noticing the vaccine wasn't working as advertised. Then it deliberately lied to the American people to manipulate the 2020 election. Next, it came out that the government and social media coordinated to censor political speech that offended bureaucrats. By the way, he has links to every single one of these claims that he's making here. These aren't just claims. They they can back them up. So the Knight Foundation now reports 50% of Americans feel most national news organizations intend to mislead, misinform, or persuade the public. The only shocking thing about that statistic is that there are still people who don't think that. Now, one day we may learn the circumstances and terms under which the legacy news media surrendered its independence to the permanent government's operation to control and manipulate domestic political opinion. Totalitarian governments can look with envy upon the message discipline across the supposedly independent American media outlets of our supposedly free press. But like so many other things the left touches, it's destroyed the legitimacy and the effectiveness of the legacy news media. Americans can tell when they're being manipulated, so they've increasingly turned off television news. And he says, to paraphrase Matt Walsh's movie title, what is a television? That flat screen mounted on your wall might be capable of receiving televised signals from broadcasters. But more likely, the television on your wall has just become another screen on which to watch videos streaming from the Internet. If you want to watch cable television, you probably need to find an airport or go pay your grandparents a visit. That last part rings absolutely true. Because it's, it's the elderly who will still watch cable news and still believe that, well, you know, it's, you know what, what, what they're telling us is, is what's happening in the world. 
Otherwise, there's no longer any need to suffer through this coordinated Soviet-style propaganda. Adam Mill says, listen carefully and you can hear their panic. How are we going to prevent misinformation from influencing voters to vote the wrong way? What if the public starts changing its mind about the Ukraine war, climate change, or sex change operations on children? Now, these bureaucrats unironically claim that allowing voters to freely choose between candidates threatens democracy. Corporations are howling after falling in line for the agenda and beginning to notice the economics of backlash. It has to be Biden, former FBI Director James Comey said recently in an interview, effectively encouraging even more election intervention by the FBI. But Comey's wrong. It doesn't have to be Biden. The American voter, not the FBI, is in charge of deciding what's best. And if we can't get reliable information from the subverted legacy media, then we'll find other routes. So it kind of makes you wonder, what uh, what might those other routes look like? I can't tell you for sure, although I believe I've helped to uh, build and launch a couple of them. I think it's going to look a lot more decentralized. And that's a good thing. I know that uh, we're kind of trained to believe, well, you know, it's got to be something big, massive, and obvious to everybody that this is the official source of truth and light. But I honestly believe in our time, if you want to get uh, if you want to get good information, if you want to be informed or at least have the kind of information that you can look at the facts and then draw your own conclusion, you're going to have to start looking for those decentralized sources. And this is, I love Substack for this very reason. And unfortunately, Substack is a publishing platform. Now I'm starting to see some of the stalwarts like Glenn Greenwald and others leaving Substack. One of the things that actually drew me there was the fact that it's a place where, you know, you can publish without having to be strained through some ideological filter to make sure that you're not saying anything that would cause people to question the official version of what's happening. But I guess the bottom line is this. The official version of what's happening would be much better served being worked into your garden as fertilizer to, uh, to help those plants grow. That's really about uh, what its worth is. It's, it's the intellectual equivalent of manure. And there's, there's also the question that comes to mind, and that is, okay, can we know everything that's going on now, I'm, I'm speaking as an information junkie. I, I like to know. I check the news every day. I like to see what are the trends, what's happening. I want to make sense of the world. But even I have to admit, as much as I do, and I spend the majority of my day, you know, always on the lookout for stories. People send me information, send me articles, which, by the way, I truly appreciate and tip my hat to you for doing so. And yet I still have to grudgingly admit, I can't. No, I can't understand everything that's going on. So at some level, I have to make some priorities. Okay, what's worth knowing and what isn't? When it comes to, uh, well, uh, who was the big winner of uh, the Transgender Award at the Black Music Festival or whatever, the Black Music Awards that uh, that aired? I think something like that aired over the weekend. Can't be sure because I don't really follow it. But... Uh, That kind of stuff doesn't really affect my life. So being able to sort the distractions from the stuff that actually has substance, yeah, that's got to be a pretty high priority. We'll take a quick break. Back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. This is our final segment today. So um, I'm trying to limit my time on Twitter just because, you know, you get little, little clips, little snapshots and snippets of what's going on. And boy, it looks like the Biden administration is just leaning into Pride Month. I, I never thought I would see the day that an American president would actually say something like this. And I don't even mean in the LGBT sense, but America, we are officially a pride nation. See, I'm, I'm thinking back to the days where, okay, it's, it's one thing to have national pride. I think Reagan probably encompassed, you know, a, a president who, uh, I think he, he inspired national pride in the sense that uh, we're proud of what America represents. We're proud of what our ideals represent. Less of a deadly sin vibe and more of a, you know, we're proud of, of what we've been blessed with and grateful but, uh, oh, my word, you know, it just seems like the, the, the provocation level for, for uh, Rainbow Ramadan is, it's just, it's off the charts. And now we have politicians in California introducing legislation that would punish parents who do not affirm their child's gender dysphoria. I believe Minnesota passed something earlier this year that would take children away from parents who uh, who don't affirm and don't go along with whatever you know gender dysphoria the kid may be working through. Now I know for for some people this is a very very loaded topic, especially if you know if you know someone whose child is struggling with gender dysphoria, you know of course you love the child you don't want you don't want to make their life more difficult you don't want to ostracize them or otherwise you know, marginalize them and make them feel worthless at the same time. Isn't it ironic that uh, right now you have this, this incredible in your face, in your face, you know, take that religion, take that religious conservatives. We don't have to participate in your fantasy about some sky daddy who tells us how to live our lives. And yet, uh, as far as uh, being forced to participate in somebody else's fantasy, well, let's just say they have no qualms about uh, dragooning us into theirs. I don't think the direct confrontation is the way to go. Because I think that, uh, you know, they, they want to play that all-important vi- uh, victimhood card. The activists who are out there trying to stir things up, the ones, and, and I, you know, somebody had made the point yesterday, I thought this was actually pretty relevant, when you've got the White House flying your flag, you are officially no longer an oppressed or endangered people. So maybe stop waving your junk in front of kids and insisting that that's a good, healthy thing. Okay, thanks. Nonetheless, I don't know that I, I don't believe that the, the direct confront, you know, confront them out there in the streets, you know, kind of thing is the way to do it. I think it, it comes down to, uh, I'm going to say the word, secession. Now, I'm talking at an individual level. You have got to be willing to distance yourself from the people or institutions that are trying to control you. They won't, they won't want you to. They will protest. How dare you do this? 
oh, what was the article? Oh, it was a meme I saw uh, earlier this morning. <clears throat> Just made me laugh. Guy sitting in a moving van, getting ready to uh, to drive off, and he says, um, actually, we're moving because of the content of their character. Oof, <laughs> that's harsh, but it also rings true. I think that uh, if there was ever a time to find people who share your values and uh, maybe this is the time to start, you know, building, uh, building bridges with them. But, uh, but don't go out there and try to settle this in the streets. The press, the government, corporate America, it's, it's all lined up against you and just waiting for you to act out in some violent way. Which, by the way, if you even just say, no, this isn't for me. Oh, that's violence. <laughs> Stop victimizing me with your, your lack of validation. Anyway, just uh, use your head. Don't get caught up in, in the contention. But at the same time, I, I hope uh, you understand this. This is where we have to draw some hard lines. Had a conversation with my daughter yesterday. You know, her son is, is six years old. My grandson... He's a, he's a wonderful kid. He deserves the opportunity to live with innocence for as long as possible. I mean, the world is going to take away our innocence as we grow up. It, it's done it to all of us. But why would we want to strip it away preemptively from kids? And apparently the school where she is, is sending her boy, um, I believe it's a, it's a, a private school, has a trans activist who has now come on staff there. And, and parents are being faced with the choice of, do I just pull my kids out? Do we take our kids out of the system and homeschool them? That's a tough decision. And, oh, Brian, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can afford it. I understand. It would be a huge sacrifice. And yet, what is at stake here? If it's your kid's well-being, if it's your kid's mind, your kid's eternal soul, that's at stake maybe it would be worth some some steep sacrifice i mean i'm i'm not i'm not suggesting anything that i'm not willing to do myself i'm very fortunate i live in an area where thankfully our school district has has common sense i'm so grateful for it it's one of the reasons why we moved here, actually, is because there's, there seems to be a surplus of common sense. But we've all got decisions to make. And I think this has got to be one of the big ones. I don't know why the, the Rainbow Mafia has set its sights on the kids, but that is the line that just cannot be crossed. And, and, it's, and it's starting to, you know, the backlash has, has really started in, in earnest in terms of there are people who are finally waking up and going, this can't be. We're not going to go for this any longer. I think it's best to do that as peacefully as possible. But there may come a point where you're going to have to put your foot down. I don't know, you know, what that's going to look like. But I suggest you probably better have it figured out before the moment arrives and you find yourself trying to decide, oh, okay, what do I do now? It's going to be a little bit late to grow a backbone at that point. Did you ever think that you would, would live in a time where you would have to actively fight for your rights? I know we had a good ride. A lot of people did heavy lifting in the generations that came before us. And man, we've, you know, people like me who grew up in the, the 70s and the 80s, wow, 
life was, was much simpler and it was really quite good. We took it for granted. But now it looks like all of us are going to get to do a little bit of heavy lifting. And that doesn't just mean, you know, get out there and, you know, politic for everything. Um, I'm talking a a much more well-rounded approach. This may lose some people, you know, because they they just can't conceive. But the idea that it's got to be not just, you know, your your ideological self. Yeah, you want to know where you stand and know exactly, you know, what you stand for. But I think there's a spiritual component here. The more I read, the more I think um, physically we have got to be in better shape, eating less junk, basically making comfort such a high priority that it turns us into a bunch of unhealthy marshmallows. By the way, I'm looking at myself. I'm pointing at myself as I say that. Recognizing that, uh, you know, for whatever's coming, and I think we've got some pretty serious challenges, particularly in the next 10 years or so, I think we're going to see the climax of our, our current fourth turning. And it's always very difficult. Almost always those fourth turnings involve major economic upheaval. Usually they involve intense civic decay and uh, world war, or at least warfare on a very large scale. The only thing we're missing right now is warfare on a large scale. But hey, thankfully... You know, there's nothing going on out there that could possibly pull us into some kind of, you know, global conflagration. All right, sarcasm off. I think you see the point. The risks are very real. But the outcome of this turning is going to depend on the character of people like you and me doing our part to ascertain the truth and then live up to it to the best of our abilities. Our character counts more than you think. I agree with Andy Frizzella, who says, you know, the most revolutionary thing that a person can do right now is be a person of solid character to become the best individual you can. If you're fat, get in shape. If you're sick, get yourself healthy. If you're poor, learn how to create wealth, develop the skills that create value for others. All right, thus endeth the sermon. (laughs) The challenges are real. But the solutions are are closer than you think. Start by looking in the mirror. This is The Brian Hyde Show.